Good morning, Forest Heights Baptist Church. We're going to begin our service this morning with our Lottie Moon video. short video today, um, but no less important. Um, the reality around the world is that um, people don't always get these nice, cushy buildings with the comfortable chairs or pews um, and getting the freedom to sing these songs um, or the freedom to watch over Facebook or listen on the phone or stuff like that. Uh, if you remember in last week's video, there was um, one of the guys who was talking about uh, going into one of the, uh, the tribes um, even though they, they were going to potentially, uh, you know, kill him upon arrival. Um, but he was willing to go because he was called to go. Um, and this is a reality uh, among so many people around the world. Uh, persecution um, in over 50 different countries um, with IMB missionaries working, uh, they're called level two and three uh, countries. Um, basically higher security levels where we don't necessarily know the names of those missionaries, but we know that they're working. Um, and we can still pray for them because we know they're there. We know that those uh, people um, are still yearning uh, to learn about God. And so this week is, is not necessarily about, you know, knowing one, one group or one location, uh, one missionary, um, but uh, coming to terms with the fact that uh, Yes, America, it's awesome. We've got this great freedom, but the reality is that the rest of the world doesn't have that. And we need, um, particularly at this time during Lottie Moon season, to really pray for uh, the rest of the world um, and throughout the year, too, um, for that persecuted church and, and for people who are suffering. Um, and to be intentional, like you saw in the video, um, for those people who are being sent to jail, who don't have the materials, but who want the materials. Um, you know, um, so just continue to pray. Uh, I know that not everyone can go to different countries, not everyone can be an IMB missionary, um, but you can give to Lottie Moon and you can pray for these people. And so that's, that's your part. Um, we increased our um, our total by eight. So we didn't double. We increased by eight. So we're at $800. So go ahead, give yourself a hand. Now we just need to increase by eight again and by eight again. And Ben tells me that if we do that each week, we'll be up to some like billion dollar something um, by the end. What? In two months, we'll be at billion dollar level. So Go ahead, keep going, giving, and it'll be great. Thanks, guys. As we continue our worship service, let's all stand as we sing, We Gather Together. 
Thank you for the wonderful love and grace that you've extended to us by way of the cross and so in so many other ways also, but especially by way of the cross. We thank you for uh, forgiving us of our sins, for washing us as white as snow, for those that have placed their faith in Christ as their Savior. And, and Lord, we thank you that uh, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us because you have sent him to to be our guide, our uh, director, our uh, empowerment to live the Christian life the way that we should. And, and I just thank you for that. And I just pray that we'll just continue to lift you up throughout this service, glorifying you because you uh, deserve everything and more that we can uh, give unto you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 
Let's all stand as we sing, I will wait for you. First Peter five seven says, "Cast all you and sharing and you in the Lord, because He cares for you." Anxiety, I'm sorry. flame like I am 
Thank you, Paul and Irene, for that. Susan, for playing. And I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 23 as we continue our study in Matthew. Matthew chapter 23. I was reading through some sayings that a preacher of old had left, and they were left on my desk, and one of them was in, on a card, and I really liked that. Uh, it said the best part of a sermon, the benediction. <laughs> so we're going to go right to the benediction and we'll have prayer and we'll be dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's uh, look in chapter 23. We're going to be looking at um, verses uh, 13 and following. And so... Uh, these are very serious. This is probably one of the most serious parts of Matthew. I mean, he really gets down to it. Now, you want this, this is judgment here. And he's just coming out and saying, whoa, there's seven woes here. You better watch out. 
And we as Christians need to, uh, I know he's uh, speaking primarily to the Pharisees and Sadducees who were religious people. We as church people need to look at these and take these very serious today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the music. Thank you for this group of people today and not only those that are here but those that are watching and I just pray that um, you'll be with us in a very special way. God, we just want you to be glorified. Please be lifted up throughout this entire service. And Lord, I pray that you'll guard each and everything that's said that comes from my mouth. May it be from my heart, but yet may it be motivated from your word. And I pray that your word will be presented as a message today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's sad when we've shared this, I've shared this before, but when we come to stats like 70% of Americans with religious affiliation say many religions, not just their own, can have and obtain eternal salvation. Now, this is 70% of Americans with religious affiliation. But what even gets worse is 57% of evangelicals that we would be classified as that are regular believe that many religions can bring salvation. Now, I don't know what they do with this passage over in John where Jesus clearly states that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. I don't know how they get around that. But if anyone ever finds himself thinking that in matters of religion, all views are relative, and any, and this is key here, any sincere faith, sincere, just being sincere, believing, sincere faith, and practice will get them into heaven. They need to read what Jesus says to the religious leaders here in Matthew chapter 23. Vance Havner once said, you know, the biggest danger to the church is not woodpeckers on the outside, but termites on the inside. He had a lot of neat sayings. Bless, I mean, bless this kind of preacher. I, I don't see how in the world he came up with so many, but you get some of his books, they are just wonderful. In chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus had pointed out, For I say to you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That was in chapter 5, verse 20 of Matthew. Now he's telling them, woe as far as the Pharisees are concerned. What was he saying? Well, he was saying that their righteousness is not good enough to get them into heaven. Nobody's righteousness is. It's only by the grace of God. And so here Jesus gives us seven woes and he's informing his listeners concerning the scribes and the Pharisees and their righteousness and he's detailing the ways in which their righteousness has fallen short. Now one of the key words in this passage is hypocrite. Hypocrisy, hypocrite. It occurs seven times and originally, the word hypocrite, it's interesting, referred to one who answers. You say, well, how is that a hypocrite? Well, it's the, uh, the, you know, the developing of this word that came about, that brought about the hypocrite that we know today because, or the meaning of the hypocrite. Originally, the hypocrite meant one who answers, and it was derived from the verb to answer, 
and it came to be associated with a dialogue on a stage to answer the the uh, you know the actors were answering one another then it progressed even more so and it was easy you know as you think about actors you you see how it was easy to get the meaning that we get today because it came to mean pretender or hypocrite or dissembler and so some actors often wore masks back then and uh, the word came su to suggest one who wore a mask to hide his true feelings and thoughts while putting on this outward show and so uh, it came to, uh, to mean uh, you play the hypocrite by wearing a mask, hiding one's true thoughts, and playing the part of someone else. So Pharisees played the part of men who meticulously observed the law, the regulations of Moses, but inwardly their hearts were never changed. Outwardly they presented a a beautiful picture of, of one who is supposed to be into the word and, and knowing the word and living by the word, but inwardly they were full of pride, envy, arrogance, and even murder. So the first 12 verses of chapter 3, the Lord is in the midst of his discourse we looked at last week, and he talks about their actions, their attitudes, and their aims as being uh, false. And now he gets into uh, verse 13 of chapter 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. You see, the first woe is a woe of obstruction. They were cutting people off from the kingdom of heaven. Now how do we do that? Well, they were doing it by teaching a false religion. People were coming sincerely to know God, and they were sincerely being misled by the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, we can do this also. And may I say, this is a very firm, this, this woe here is not some... Uh, you know, uh, exclamation, wow, type thing. It's not used that way. It's a declaration, a divine pronouncement of judgment, judgment of God. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people today don't, would not like this series of woes. They cannot see Jesus in this way. We, um, we have people today that, you know, they're, uh, all they can think about is confronting people in what they call a loving way. A, spur, a person who, uh, you know, uh, speaks too harshly, and they would say that this would be too harshly. This cannot be Jesus' words. This is, cannot be his intent. Uh, they would say that, you know, uh, because it's too judgmental. And Jesus just not, was not that way. He was, he was not uh, mean like that. They look at God's wrath as being mean. In other words, in, in the day of our tolerance and uh, eclectalism, we, um, we see that this kind of confrontation that Jesus had with the scribes and the uh, Pharisees is very foreign and very uncharitable. A person who speaks too harshly against wrong done, against a false uh, religion, or against unbiblical teaching, or a movement, is considered unkind, ungracious, and judgmental. And Jesus' indictments in Matthew 23, as well as in other parts of the gospel, are so inconsistent with the idea of Christian love held by many today so we need to look at them the way that not many people would like to look at them and say that that they look at them in a different way 
we need to look at them the way that they're presented in context. And here the religious leaders are considered uh, are accused of hindering those who are trying to enter into heaven and they, they're misleading them. He says you're slamming the door of the kingdom in the faces of people who are seeking the kingdom. Now, they did that by teaching something contrary to the gospel. And this is why it's so very important to teach the word of God. These, these teachers today that teach something that, that is contrary to what Jesus says there is one way, and that one way is through him and him alone, they are misleading people and they are falling under the same woe as these Pharisees and scribes did. So the verb form is in the present tense. He's saying you're keeping the door. You're not letting anyone in. You're not changing. You're, you're keeping the door closed. You're, 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 you're keeping people out. And not only that by your teaching, but by the way that you live. That's another thing that we need to look at. Does the way that I, we live, do we live one way on Sunday and another way during the week? Does the way that we live keep people out of heaven? With the Pharisees, their way was keeping people out. The way that they taught and the way that they lived, they were hypocrites. One of the most serious dangers into which a teacher or a, a Christian may fall is the danger of erecting your own personal prejudice into universal principles. Or that of substituting our ideas for the truth of God. And that's so easy done, isn't it? This is why it's so serious and serious as teachers. And I hope teachers in all churches are considering this. That it's much more than, than studying on Saturday night reading a, a, uh, a booklet that has your lesson in it. It is studying during the week and making sure that you are in tune with God's Word and in line with God and what He teaches. And not just coming in and giving a bunch of stories and feel-good atmosphere. It is teaching the Word of God. You say, well, people don't want to hear that today. They want to hear nice stories. Well, it doesn't matter what people want to hear. It matters what God wants you to teach. And so in turn, we need to take it very seriously. There needs to be a, a, a soaking in prayer before you come and you deliver your message on Sunday morning or you teach your lessons. There needs to be a getting into the Word and reading more than just devotional stuff, devotional material, that may be fine. It's getting into the Word of God and reading what the Holy Spirit has to say. When souls are at stake, men cannot hide behind false humility. And with that false humility, be more concerned about your class and keeping your big class or your small class or us four and no more or us great and everything else is fine. Whatever it is, being much more concerned than that, being concerned with giving God's truth. Not answering to these people, not trying to keep them. Oh, what did you do? What did you say? Oh, they're going to leave the church. Oh, that's terrible. If you're saying it in love and you're saying the word of God, and even if it's strong like Jesus was here, it does not matter. The Holy Spirit is the one who works. And we need to get back to understanding that. It's not us keeping them, compromising whatever it is. It's a Holy Spirit that works in lives. And this is what 
causes a lot of apostasy. Those who are compromising and teaching stuff that they should not be teaching. This is what the Pharisees were doing. Fears being judgmental or, 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 or being false love that, you know, uh, oh, I might offend someone. If you're doing it with the right spirit, then that's it. God is working. And you know, sometimes, unfortunately, people are just not Christians. They don't desire to be Christians. They're just here for the ride. And they leave. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't be concerned about them, pray for them, talk to them? No. But we don't compromise to keep somebody that's never a part of it or never has been a part of it. Second woe is proselyting. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. Even for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you shall receive greater condemnation. You're deceiving people? You're making them think that, that you're spiritual? You're making them think that you're wonderful? You're deceptive even to poor widows who doesn't have the male in the home to protect them? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. First, religious leaders would take advantage of poor widow ladies or any other person that they could just to get them in their group, just to have them following. You do that for the wrong reasons you are experiencing or you're out to experience greater condemnation. Their zealous evangelistic work was going out far and wide to convert those Gentiles but to a false religion. There were two kinds of proselytes in the synagogue. One was a proselyte of the gate they say he was a gentile who only attended the services though he now worshiped the true god he had not committed himself to full ritualistic and uh, legalistic judaism the other kind was a proselyte of righteousness he went all the way and he was just like the uh, the jews that were coming except he was a gentile proselyte As is often the case with new converts, he warns many of these converts that are excited, that comes in. And it's just like a born-again believer, if, if he's a true convert, a lot of times they'll come in and they'll be excited and, boy, they'll exceed what the others have learned. And maybe the others seem boring and calm, and they, some of them may be, but but others that are more stable. And they'll want to do this, and boy, they'll go out, and boy, and you know, just, oh, we got to do that, we did. And then before you know it, they're doing all these things, and they're doing it, and they haven't grown like they should, and so they, what? They go by the wayside. They get burned out. They're not grounded in the Word. They're not discipled. Well, even those that are lost that are converts, that they were proselyting, that they were bringing in. He said, what you've done there is you've, you've created this uh, bunch who comes in and they're very, uh, you know, uh, excited and, and, and they go beyond what you're doing. And it gets distorted even more so because they haven't grown either. They don't know what the Word says. 
They don't know what you are teaching even. And so in turn, it gets wider and wider, worse and worse. So he says, their zeal leads them to hell because it was not godly. It pushed them beyond. And let me, let me say something here. Just because someone has a zeal for their cause, and just because they are sincere for their cause, it doesn't mean that it's right. He says, twice a son of hell would be the person who was doubly hellish and doubly minded. They're overly zealous. They had become more zealous than their leaders. They had become more zealous, and one reason for that is because a works-type religion, and understand me here, is a religion that is constantly comparing itself with others and their works. And so why is it not going to be overly zealous? You've got one up on me, I've got to do something better. Churches can do the same, can't we? We can see what someone else is doing in the crowd, and, and before we know it, we're, we're trying to draw the same crowd or a greater crowd with the same techniques or something one up. We've got to always ask ourselves in reaching the lost, what is our motive in doing these things? If our primary motive isn't trying to be used by God to reach the lost world for Him, for Christ, then what are we doing? We're just barking up the wrong tree. You've heard that saying before, huh? If we're not trying to help people in their walk with Christ, then we're doing our events for the wrong reasons. We also have here a suggestive illustration of the fact that sincerity is not enough. A person can be very sincere in the propagation of what? Evil, right? But that type of sincerity will do the person no good. We can admire the zeal of such people as Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, but their zeal and sincerity is not the truth. They get out there and work. But where are these people going? We can admire groups who are sincere and have a zeal to accept everyone and tell others that they should uh, also accept everyone. But when you accept them, they say, accept them as they are. In other words, that sounds wonderful, except that little phrase, accept them as they are. If they're living in sin... We're not to accept their sin. We can love the person but never accept their sin. But they want us to accept not only them but their sin. You're being too judgmental if you don't accept them. We as believers cannot accept their sin nor their sinful lifestyle. Yes, to love them but not accept their sin and their lifestyle. Zeal and sincerity doesn't make something right. We have groups who are very zealous and sincere maybe about making sure people have their rights. But in giving someone their right and giving an unborn baby not their right, is that wrong? And in giving someone a right, what about not only that innocent life, but what about, you know, 
what God calls that. And number three is not only does God call it taking someone's life, murder, but also who's supposed to be in charge of life. That's making a person the creator in deciding and not the creature in obeying. In this fun, we're just getting started. It's almost benediction, people. <laughs> Woe to you, blind guides, he says. And this is trivializing the third woe. Who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated? You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? I mean, he's, already, he's answering it in question, isn't he? Therefore he swears, swears both by the altar and by or he who swears, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Now what is Jesus saying? Jesus is, first of all, is teaching that there's not two kinds of truth. One which is more important to be followed than the other. And he lets him know by the illustration that the temple was the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. And uh, one day will be the dwelling place again when they rebuild the temple. And he says, why do you say that the, uh, the material that makes up much of the temple is more valuable? You're putting the value in the wrong place. And he says, but both of them are important because they're all a part of the temple. God sanctified this. And he calls these people blind guides, blind fools, emphasizing their unawareness that they are ignorant of the truth. And of course, fools means foolish or stupid or, or being obstinate or godless. So the issue was God, Jesus was saying. The one who received the offering and the one who uh, owned the temple and everything in it. It's God. It was God's temple and he dwelt within it. And then he, he, he continued by identifying heaven as the throne of God. God sits upon the throne as or sits upon heaven as a throne. So the woe was to the Pharisees and the scribes who were blind to what oath-taking required. It was trivializing the truth, the type of rationalization that was countered by Jesus when he said on the Sermon on the Mount, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this becomes or comes from the evil one in Matthew chapter 5. Verses 34 through 37. He was saying, keep your word. Don't you get tired. You remember, many of you, I know the younger ones may not be able to, but many of you, when you were growing up, when your dad or your parents made a vow or swore to do something, they didn't sometimes, a lot of times, they didn't write it down, did they? But they were expected to keep their word. Just because they signed a paper or not, if they swore to do it, they were, they were supposed to follow through with it. And what these were doing, these Pharisees and scribes, they were hiding behind this oath so that they wouldn't have to give tithes, so that they wouldn't have to be faithful in certain areas because it was not sworn on a certain thing. One thing 
reneges another. And so what we've seen in this woe is a clear example of the result of legalism. When we reduce uh, legalistically parsing and parsing of our verbs in order to twist the intention to protect ourselves, then we are proving that we're not doing it with the right motive. The legal justice system of the United States has become so pharisaistical in its methodology that the real victim is justice itself. We've forced ourselves to define truths in levels. People, it's not in levels. Truth is truth, and lie is lie, false is false, and right is right. Well, that's just a little white lie. A lie is a lie, isn't it? Well, it's all in how you define sex. You remember that one? Yeah. Man. We have truth today. We have semi-truth and we have true truth. We have become legally accurate but morally bankrupt we have come a long way from letting our yes be yes and our no's be no and our culture is dying because of it our churches are dying because of it we have bought into the same thing in many ways, we bought into it. We have made a mockery of truth and character. That's it. Well, stay tuned for Woe 4 through 7 next week. What a better one to end on this week, though. We need to get back to the truth. We need to get back to living the life that God has called us to. Now, I'm not talking about lost person out there. I'm talking about us and giving the example and promoting this and teaching it to our kids and teaching what is taught otherwise in school or wherever it might be taught that that is wrong. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Black is black. White is white. We've got to get back to that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we, we have probably all experienced this in our life, dealing with other people, dealing with it in our homes, being raised up, uh, having to face it, telling little white lies, black lies, whatever it might be, categorizing truth of the lack of it. God, help us to live according to your word, to call right, right, and wrong, wrong, and realize that we still struggle with it, that we shouldn't be judgmental, whether it be at biz in our businesses, with our families, with telling each other, not telling each other certain things, even in our churches. God, make us aware when we're doing that and help us to face up to the fact and, and ask for forgiveness and not go that route anymore. Help us to be the kind of genuine believers that we need to be. And realize that what Jesus is teaching is true. That woe is not an exclamation. It's, it's a declaration. It's, it's a pronouncement of judgment. And these are judgments on this kind of living. And realize the kind of damage, not only that we're doing to ourselves when we do this, but 
the kind of damage that we're doing to the family of God and also to those without who are looking at us. Maybe this is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to have much to do with Christianity today. Because we've moved so far in our walk with you to the, to the left that God, people just don't see you as being real anymore. Help us to change that though. Even though we may be guilty of it and have been guilty of it, help us to change it. And we can't do it on our own. It's got to come by way of the Holy Spirit. So God, you, you take our lives and you change us. Help us not be judgmental of other people. Help us look and examine our own lives and, and allow you to work in our lives and through our lives and changing and molding us into the image that you would have us to be. And that can only come by us humbling ourselves before you and yielding ourselves to you on a regular daily basis. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. God is having you to make some kind of decision today. You come. Maybe it's to come and kneel at the altar. Maybe it's to come and pray with me. Whatever it might be, you come. make any announcements let let me uh, light the candle of hope reading to you for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders the candle of hope we have that hope in who? Jesus Christ. No one else is Jesus Christ. Okay. Any announcements to be made? Okay, Ben. Uh, as I'm sure many of y'all know by now, get in the frame. Uh, I have accepted a job and will be moving to Savannah in January. Uh, so that means a few things. Uh, first of all, uh, that means I won't be here to run sound or do the welcome table. Uh, so if that is something that interests y'all, come find me and I can show y'all how to do stuff. Amen. Right. Uh, y y for the sound room, you did have to put up with David, but it's not as bad as it seems. Um, also, if you could just be in prayer as I do get moved down to Savannah, I would greatly appreciate it. Well, we are going to miss you, brother, and I tell you what, love you greatly. Let's give Ben, a, when, when are you leaving, Ben? Uh, January. January. Well, we'll wait and give Ben a big hand then, okay? <laughs> you remind me, Ben, I'll forget it like I forgot that almost, so, <laughs> okay. Any other announcements? Thank you, Ben. God bless you, brother, for what you've done, how God's used you. Okay, anybody else? Okay, nothing. We don't have any more Thanksgiving meals. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> not, not this coming month, anyway. Okay, remember Lottie Moon. Amen. Keep going on that. Okay, brother, I guess you're going to dismiss us with a uh, song in our hearts. 
Though. 